Hi, I'm Helena Cobbin. I'm the president of Just World Educational, which has had an intermittent podcast series for a while, and we're considering making it more regular. Please visit our website, www.justworldeducational.org, for any updates. Today is Saturday, March 24th, 2018, and in light of the appointment of John Bolton as President Trump's National Security Advisor, I managed to catch up with Ian Williams, who's a veteran observer of the United Nations, and he indeed has been a correspondent at the United Nations for The Guardian and several other outlets. Um, Ian is also the author of a recently published book, Untold, the real story of the United Nations in peace and war, where in fact you will find a charming and somewhat irreverent cartoon of John Bolton on page 96. So run out and buy your copy to see that cartoon. Ian Williams and I discussed some of the um, many vignettes he has of the way that John Bolton behaved at the United Nations in the mid-aughts when he was briefly the U.S. ambassador to the world body. And we also discussed the present prospects now that he has become President Trump's national security advisor, specifically regarding the possibility of them launching some form of a war against Iran or North Korea and ways that citizens around the world and governments concerned about this, this possibility might act together to prevent that happening and what the role of the United Nations could be. So anyway, here is my conversation with Ian Williams. So um, Ian, in your time at the United Nations over the years where you've been a correspondent for various news outlets, you um, got a close-up view of John Bolton. And um, in one of your earlier articles, I saw that you recalled the role he had played in December 2000, December 2000, in that election when he stormed into a, a voting place in Florida and said, I'm jo- John Bolton, I'm here with the Bush-Cheney campaign, the, uh, the, the counting has to stop. And, of course, from that whole um, series of things that happened around that election, we ended up with George W. Bush, and you could say the rest is history. Um, he also played a, a big role in the lead-up to the Iraq War. So, Ian Williams, from you looking at him both at the United Nations and in his role um, in the State Department under George W. Bush, what are the most damaging things that he did? Well, I mean... They're all part of a pattern, which is a complete disregard for even the concept of international law and agreements. I mean, he really regards the U.S. as a city on a hill that's not beholden to anybody else. Agreements don't bind it. Uh, when, he, when he decided to unsign the uh, Treaty on the International Criminal Court, he discovered that the U.S. was a party to, a, to the, the Vienna Convention, which said that once you've signed the treaty, you should obey the, you should follow the terms of it, even though uh, you haven't ratified it yet. So he unsigned the Vienna Convention to be in order to un, in, in order to unsign the ICC Rome Convention, 
And then, and I think the interesting bit was to, to preserve these sort of figments of international law, he actually went around and bullied 50 or 60 small countries, <clears throat> a little like Nikki Haley is doing now, and saying, you will not get any U.S. government aid unless you agree that no U.S. citizen is ever going to be prosecuted um, or handed over. So all these tiny countries were suddenly getting the big guns pointed at them. This episode has almost completely disappeared now because, you know, it was of dubious legality at the time. But uh, this is a person who doesn't really think that... He doesn't actually agree with the concept of international law. He really thinks that the U.S. is its own law, and what the U.S. wants, it does. And at the time, he was called a neocon, and I thought this was unfair, because for all of their faults, the neocons were actually um, not conservatives domestically. <clears throat> but John Bolton is a paleocon. He's from the old John Birch Society. I mean, this, this guy goes back, and he, he, he's, he's a Republican dinosaur. The problem is, of course, that his trend of thinking is now uh, is now running the White House. Uh, so, so um, Ian, if you say he's he's from the John Birch Society, is that a literal statement or is that a kind of a figurative statement? I know he has had a lot of uh, dealings with Islamophobic organizations, including this terrible Gatestone Institute and his support for Pamela Geller. Is there also, are you saying there's evidence that he had connections with the John Birch Society, or is that figurative? Um, it's, it, I, I think it's figurative in the sense that he identifies with their policies. He's an old-style conservative from, from that ilk. Um, it's interesting, in fact, that he is now, um, of course, Islamophobic, because um, the original conservatives are all anti-Semitic in a big way. Um, but that they've these anti-Semites have now been convinced that Israel is their saviour and represents the type of thinking that they want. And that's certainly been his case. He's been rapidly pro-Israeli. And um, it's well, of course, like it, is, it is possible for people to be very anti-Semitic and be pro-Israeli because there's an argument that, you know, in, in non-Israeli countries that if you can get the uh, the Jews all to go to Israel, that that saves you having them in your own country if you're an anti-Semite. I mean, there's a long history of anti-Semites having supported Israel. So he's just, he and his ilk have kind of joined that. Yes, I think, uh, you know, I I certainly think that a lot of people are supporting Israel who are actually viscerally (laughs) anti-Semite. but uh, they, uh, they see a geopolitical expedience. And also, the part of their anti-Semitism consists in the fact that they think that the, the Jews control Washington. Therefore, the best way to pander to them is to support Israel and get them to do what you want. But, you know, in his case, it, 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 it's been consistent, uh, certainly on things like arms control. Where he agreed with the neocons, I think, was the project for the... Uh, the, the, the the, the project from the neocons on the basic idea that the U.S. is declining in economic influence. So now is the time to solidify and lock in America's military advantage uh, over over other countries. Uh, the, 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 this is where the uh, this is where the American uh, well, this is where the neocons and he really get together and. Um, 
the, the, the views converge and you know, the, the, he, he is not concerned about democracy abroad. He's got no pretension, liberal pretensions like that. He is concerned about American influence, first, second, and third. I don't so, care um, what flavor a regime is anywhere abroad, as long as it's pro, as long as it does what America says. Uh, you know, as you remember, Roosevelt, Roosevelt uh, said the same thing Roosevelt said about Nicaragua. You know, <laughs> I don't care. You know, I don't care what type of son of a bitch he is, as long as he's our son of a bitch. Right. So um, you've talked and written about how what a bully boy John Bolton was when he was briefly the UN ambassador, unconfirmed, um, at the UN back in 2006. Now, that was 12 years ago, and the kind of the, the balance of forces internationally has shifted, I would argue, fairly significantly um, against. United States influence in the intervening 12 years. Now, you have, as you noted, Ambassador Nikki Haley trying to throw the United States weight around in a kind of very rough and ready way in the United Nations. And of course, John Bolton, if he's the, when he's the national security advisor, is going to be backing that up in spades from Washington. But really, how much can Washington control the whole international community, the whole, like, the balance of, of world forces now in 2018? Well, it can't. I mean, it couldn't then. Uh, he, he, he failed. It was the beginning. Um, remember, they could not get the Security Council to endorse the invasion of Iraq um, then, and it's even further away now. And one of the points, I think this is where history helps make it, is that Bolton is from the conservative wing that used to be diehard anti-China. It's one of the reasons why he has been a consistent supporter of Taiwanese um, independence. Um, right. Not because he supports democracy particularly, but because he really sees that the democratic institute, the, 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 the U.S. government sold China, if you remember. People have forgotten yesterday's tropes. But the China lobby in right. the time, the, the, the Taiwan lobby was almost as influential with conservative support as the current Israel lobby. And he is still in there. I mean, it's, it's this sort of the antiquity of his uh, attitude. So one of the real things here, of course, is that whatever you think about China, and I certainly wouldn't call it a democratic country, but it is a major force to be reckoned with. And it's, you know, a, a big country that's about, what, four times the size of, of the United States in terms of population, whose government has made considerable advances in terms of health, education, and general welfare, um, regardless and, of... Well, look, more, more to the point, it's got, a, it's got a, a large and growing military. It's certainly dominant in its sphere of influence, and economically, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Chinese don't have to throw bombs, all the all, all Xi Ping has to do is to pick up a phone and tell the brokers sell. You know, he, he owns so much <laughs> right. in the U.S. He doesn't have to push a red button. All he has to do is to push the sell button on his computer, and he could trash the U.S. economy. It would be mutually so, assured destruction, but it would work. So John Bolton <laughs> is really working in a, in a separate, um, you know, in, in a different universe, and he can't get out of that. But he may well try. I mean... 
I disagree with the Chinese position in Taiwan, but nobody wants to go to war about it, least of all the Taiwanese. And, you know, you, you might not think that Kim in, in North Korea is, is the, the bee's knees, but neither the South Koreans nor anybody else want to go to war about it. He does, it seems. Similarly with Iran. So, I mean, um, Iran could here we say, have really the, the um, threat of two possible very large-scale and significant U.S. military actions. Um, one would be against Iran, which um, John Bolton has written about recently, and, you know, he's still dedicated to the, deeply dedicated to the overthrow of the Islamic Republic there, um, wants it to happen, he says, before the 40th anniversary, which comes up in February of next year, the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Republic, and the other would be against Korea, where hit North Korea, where where Bolton's um, continued bellicosity seems thus far to be a little bit at odds with President Trump's stated desire to meet um, President Kim Jong Un sometime in the coming months. Uh, actually, it looks like May may be the the crunch month because May is both, I think, when uh, Trump wants to meet Kim, and it's also when Trump has to, per the, the congressional legislation, recertify that Iran is complying with the, with the terms of the JCPOA, the six-party um, non-proliferation agreement. So we might expect all kinds of stuff to be happening in, in the next two months. Um, what do you think? Um, I mean, obviously, none of us has a crystal ball. And although President Trump and uh, King Salman in, in Saudi Arabia seemed to have a crystal ball they were playing with there, um, rather dangerous, I think. But what realistically, from your perspective, as someone who has followed these issues for a long time, what might the worst be? And what kind of forces in the international community could actually stop that from happening? <laughs> well, I wish. I thought I would ask you some easy on. questions. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I wish I could see a sort of series of forces um, that, that could possibly do this. Uh, one of the problems, I think, which is uh, which exacerbates the problems of the Trump White House with somebody like Bolton, is the world is so unstable at the moment. I mean, right across the world, we have instability. You know. We, we have Germany wrestling with a coalition. We have Britain that's, that's wobbling. We have a, a, a rookie president in France. Um, and, you know, most of the rest of the world, there's a complete instability. Things are changing, not necessarily for the better, in countries all over the world. Um, the old blocks have, have broken down. And here you have this complete wild card put in there. Now, the, the one redeeming grace in this is that Bolton is, has consistently been his own person. You have to give him that. The, 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 you, you have to almost admire his integrity. He has resisted calls to sanity from various presidents. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, this is, I, I know I shouldn't be laughing because it's all such a horrendous thing, but, yeah. No, he, you know, he, he, he stuck to his guns through, throughout and... Uh, you know, when, when he was at the UN, he had his own policy, which was completely different from Colin Powell's at the time. Um, and, you know, we're talking about a man who was so extreme that the Republican Party 
it was people from the Republican Party who denied him the nomination as UN ambassador. He was an interim appointment and was never made permanent. He was never actually made an ambassador because his appointment was never confirmed by the Senate because right. significant numbers of senators doubted his sanity and doubted his, uh, his connection to reality uh, for all the reasons that we've just been discussing. You know, they really did not want to see World War Three start again because some sort of uh, cold warrior had just been defrosted like a mammoth from the tundra <laughs> and rampage around. In fact, it's more like a walrus from the tundra with his moustache, of course. Um, but so he, we are um, sort of in a, in a strange Lovian uh, moment, a Dr. Strangelove moment. I mean, it, it's really pretty, pretty terrifying. Yes, I mean, he, he has very clear ideas of the world, but these are the type of ideas that will appeal to President Trump. I mean, oh, he is, he, this guy is America first to the max. You know, I mean, he, he's been there all along. So, uh, you know, he, he can articulate uh, the, the prejudices that, uh, that, that, that Trump expresses in terms of America first. And he, he will do so completely reckless, regardless of the views of other countries. I mean, that was the, one of the characteristics of the UN. He didn't produce any great triumphs at the UN. He couldn't persuade other people. He couldn't persuade the, the rest of the, the other countries in the world to go along with him. He, he was stuck. Um, you know, and yes, people will always pay deference. You know, look, if, 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 you, if, if you send any type of clown, you can send Peewee along to the UN as the US ambassador, and people would be respectful of him. But um, John so Bolton is pretty much in that line. Yeah, Ian, if um, other countries around the world are, if their leaders are pretty terrified as to what um, Bolton's appointment might signify, and of course, you know, we need to recall that he, he doesn't need to be confirmed this time around. National Security Advisor is not, is not a position that goes to the Senate for confirmation. So it's going to happen. He's, he's in. I mean, I think he's in as of today, maybe. Um, and I should imagine that leaders around the world are very, very taken aback when they look at the kind of, of possibilities that you and I have been discussing. It strikes me that the United Nations suddenly will adopt, it, it will be a major vehicle through which other nations will seek to build coalitions, even though, as you noted, there's all kinds of instability in the world system. But what happens in New York in the next few weeks could be very important in pulling together the kind of international coalition that can put reins on this guy. Um, is, is that, am I too idealistic, thinking that the United Nations has a role to play? Well, it does have a role to play, but in, and, and in this case, I think traditionally it's been a sort of negative one. Is that um, no, even the Bush invasion of Iraq, it showed that they had a residual respect for international law. Is that when they first of all tried and failed to get a UN endorsement for the invasion, and then secondly, they pulled together the coalition of the willing, you might remember, um, yeah. so-called the coalition of the dragooned um, to, to, to back them. And, you know, there, there were countries who were enlisted in the coalition of the unwilling, of the, of the willing, who, who hadn't even said yes 
You remember, I think there were so almost riots in, I think it was uh, Slovenia, because the State Department had mistaken them for Slovakia and put them in the coalition of the willing without the government uh, saying but, so. But there were other members of that coalition who were, you know, eager lapdogs like Tony Blair. So, I mean, it wasn't, they weren't all unwilling. <laughs> yeah, well, that a lot was of the residual, that, that was an interesting residual genuflection towards Britain's influence in the world. That, that I think it was key for that coalition that they got another power like Britain to uh, support them. Um, you know, and hence Blair's perfidy, which is one of the reasons why you might end up in The Hague at the International Court someday, yes. But the overall, the, the overall effect is that they refused in the Security Council. And small countries, I, I, I mean, I can't remember precise at the time, but I think it was Jamaica and, uh, and New Zealand and others just said, no, you can't do this. It's against the law. And that was thwarting. Now the situation is more favorable in that um, America's economic influence is no longer so powerful. <clears throat> you know, if, 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 um, if, if the Americans say, we're not going to send you any aid, America sends doodle-tepid aid to most of these countries anyway. So it would be perfectly feasible for them to say, hey, you know, go whistle. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the Chinese instead. <clears throat> and, um, and and replace it. And that's um, the, 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 the balance of real world power has really shifted. And that gets reflected in the UN. So the US would, would try, I believe, out of residual respect for international law, authority, and PR, to get UN endorsements for whatever its deeds are. They did this with Iran, remember. I mean, they managed to sneak in through procedural means resolutions on Iran in the Security Council through the, from the International Atomic Energy Authority. And they did that, you know, just showing the principles involved. They did that by getting India to vote for it, when India has nuclear weapons of its own. So they got the Indian delegates in the, at the International Atomic Energy Authority to vote for referral of Iran, <laughs> possibly seeking to get nuclear weapons. Um, and... That, 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 that's the real worry. That's the, that's the worry that they would get. But I don't believe, um, you know, I, I don't think the countries are that concerned about the U.S. anymore. The U.S. has been involved in wars in Iran, Iraq, Syria, surrogate wars. It's completely bogged down. Its military ain't what it seems to be. It's, it's lost successively wars from all the way from Indochina to the, uh, to the Middle East. And nobody wants to be invaded by the U.S. But nobody is that scared about it as terribly anymore. In, in, the, the, in the end, the U.S. has not really won any of these wars. Um, so the, um, the, other 90, the other 95% of humanity who are not U.S. citizens, um, can they actually use the United Nations to um, further their joint interests and, and to control the, this rogue 5% of humanity that is, you know, threatening to run rampage, run further rampage. In, well, in they can, and that's like because Iran. the 5% the, 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 the of the U.S. population is far from united behind, um, behind the, the Trump administration, especially on these issues. If, um, and a lot of them actually have a great respect for the United Nations still. 
which is why the Bush administration tried so hard to get U.S. endorsement, the U.N. endorsement for its policies. So um, if, 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 the, if the U.N. were to go beyond actually failing to support an outright condemnation, then I think this would have an effect in, in, in U.S. public opinion. Uh, not necessarily with the diehard Trump supporters who seem to be unaffected by reality in whatever form it takes, but uh, it's entirely possible that the uh, that uh, a condemnation of the so US ba- basically people in this people in this country here in the United States. I mean, you and I are both kind of displaced Brits, but um, I don't know about you, but I, I took U.S. citizenship quite a, a time ago, um, and. We really do need to make sure that our fellow citizens here in the United States understand what the UN can do and, you know, how, how we can maximize our effectiveness as a, as a domestic force of uh, constraint upon our leaders. It's a huge job. I mean, the anti-war movement really, as I wrote recently, the anti-war movement here in the United States, which was fairly strong in the lead up to the invasion of Iraq, more or less collapsed right thereafter so i don't know what we can do to uh to rebuild it but i you know the the prospect of trump and bolton uh running our country's foreign affairs should be a wake-up call what do you think well i mean the the sad the the sad aspect of the anti-war movement is it needs the realistic prospect of a war to mobilize (laughs) so i mean well, that's what it needs. That's what we need to galvanize people is the realistic prospect of a war. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that the chicken hawks like Bolton and Trump, who evaded the war that of their generation in Vietnam that they supported, should now want to send people in, the, the young Americans to die in large numbers in Iran or, 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 uh, North Korea, or even large numbers of civilians to die in, in a thermonuclear exchange. That is something that's going to galvanize people here. And the UN is crucial for that. You know, people might be prepared to make sacrifices for a good cause, but a reviled and condemned cause, um, which is what this would be almost certainly internationally. Now, you know, it, it is true that Let's say you know, neither North Korea nor Iran are particularly favourable. Um, you know, they're not particularly, shall we say, desirable regimes for most of the world. They, they, they don't have that many fans, either in governments or amongst ordinary people. But the, the, a war is something else. I mean, Saddam Hussein was no beast up, and yet millions rallied to, to, to fight against the war against him. And I think that will probably be the case with Iran and North Korea if, if, if they get to the brink. Um, it, it's a frightening prospect. And in North Korea, we have the test case that might actually determine John Bolton's future. We have seen that this president uh, does not tolerate dissent very much. If he's to fix on a course of action, as he now seems to have done, to negotiate with, with Kim, Kim Jong-un, and... John Bolton disagrees, John Bolton is going to go out. and We'll see whether John Bolton has lost his iron or whether he's, um, whether he's become a flexible, uh, a sort of flexible careerist as, as opposed to the resolute ideologue he's been for the rest of his life. 
Well, interesting. I guess the next few weeks will tell us. Um, I think we need to wrap it up now, but thanks so much, Ian. Really appreciate hearing your you. your expertise on that. Thank you, Helena. It's a pleasure thought experimenting with, with the horrendous prospects of a Bolton ascendancy in the White House.